listening to this week's Lefevre CFC podcast. Connect with us via our website, lefevrecfc.com, or our Facebook page, www.facebook.com slash lefevrecfc. We hope you enjoy this week's message. To introduce Norm, I will, um, I hope you can see him um, and see us, but if you can't, um, that's probably good for you, because um, we're not the most good-looking fellas, are we, Norm? But we, well, we're doing speak, all right. Speak for yourself. <laughs> Thanks, Norm. Um, Norm and I are good friends, so he can get away with that. Um, Norm has, I'll, let me give you a little bit of his journey and I'll tell you some of the things Norm has done, but Norm would be the first to say the things that he's done does not define who he is. Um, but just to give you a bit of a glimpse of some of his journey, Norm was a, in the Navy as an officer. Is that, is that the right rank? I didn't want to yeah, yeah. demote you or promote you too high, but that's, that's good enough. Yeah, that's yeah, good that's enough. Good. Norm yeah. was in the, in the Navy, working there, and then um, left that, went to Papua New Guinea with Kathy. Uh, as missionaries and served at Bethel Centre in Papua New Guinea for uh, 10 years uh, as missionaries there and was really part of a a time of rapid growth and revival at Bethel and um, was part of just helping establish what is there today. Uh, Norm had a huge part of actually being part uh, of helping establish that with his skills and organising. Then when he left there, he moved from there down to the Christian Family Centre at Seton um, and really became the executive pastor there uh, with Pastor Bill. And um, I don't know if I was on staff already or I came on to staff once you were there. I'm a bit vague on how that all happened. But we were on staff together at the Christian Family Centre for many years. And then Norm got sick of me, so he sent me to Papua New Guinea um, <laughs> and helped us get there. So during that time, Norm was very helpful in Sondra and I and our kids getting to Papua New Guinea. Um, and then sometime after we left and went to Papua New Guinea, Norm... Uh, felt this desire and a call to um, be engaged with a with a church in um, in Hobart uh, that was in significant amount of debt. It was a struggling church. It was looking like it was going to close up, and he felt like I need to go over there and help this church. So he ended up, uh, him and Kathy ended up moving to Hobart, where they pastored the church there, and have seen that that church turn around and have done a lot of unique things through the church there. Um, Norm's now at the stage where he's um, about to hand the leadership over the church to uh, another guy named Joel, and he's a great, great man as well. So uh, that's some of Norm's journey. Um, in the midst of that, he started a prison ministry as well, so, um, which is all very, very exciting stuff. So, um, yeah, so that's a little bit of a glimpse of all the things that Norm has done. But as I said, Norm would not be defined by what he's done. Um, he's much more, more than that, and it's his relationship with the Lord, which really... Um, resonates out of him and Norm's been significant in my life in just various times of connecting with Jesus and making sure that connection stays with Jesus not focused on what I do Um, and we'll maybe talk a bit more about that later but our theme for today's discussion as Norm and I were talking was about uh, knowing him well and him being Jesus uh, not Norm but knowing Jesus well and making him known um, and we'll probably start with the last bit of that and then come bit back to the yeah, first bit, sure. I think, Norm, if you want to do it that way around. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, so, Norm, tell us, because one of the exciting things, when Norm's, I've heard Norm share a lot of times, but part of going to Hobart, the Hobart church uh, is on a hill which looks down onto the prison. So they ritually, their neighbours are the prisoners. Um, and you felt God speak to you about that and you started some stuff there in the prison. So do you want to talk about how that started sure. and just some of the stuff that you do there? Sure, yeah. First of all, can I just say how good it's to be here, and um, it really is good. Tara, I just love the worship this morning. Thank you. It was touched. But um, 
sorry, I was quite emotional this morning during the worship, which was good. But I, um, I arrived over in, um, in, in Hobart and we went to take on a, a very needy church. And I suppose one of my giftings, if I have a particular gifting, I, I, se- I tend to do administration whether I want to or not. Um, and often it was when I didn't want to do it that I ended up doing it. But, and, uh, and so I, I got involved in that in quite a lot of ways. And um, I know during the time at the Seton there, I was often involved in teaching in the church planning schools would come in and I'd come all with the great ideas and be involved in teaching in that and arrive at a church that's greatly struggling. And on the way there, um, it's, a, it's a beautiful facility. We actually have 64 acres of land. And on the property, there's seven houses when we arrived, and there's now eight. And, um, and so it was just great to go into this space, and it's, um, it really is a lovely, it's a lovely place. And, but going up there, you drive up a hill, and as you drive up the hill on the kind of left-hand side, as you drive, it kind of the, the road points in one direction, and you see the prison, which is right next door. And it is the only prison in Tasmania. Um, currently, there's almost about 700 people in the prison and when we arrived there was probably about 350 so there's been quite a lot of significant increase in numbers of people in prisons as there has been indeed around Australia around the world the prison populations rise but I, I know going up the hill I, I, I saw that I saw the prison then I looked over and then I saw the church and there was a cross on the top wall of the log cabin church that we had and, and I really felt God speak to me and you know have those moments and you probably all have them in some way you feel God impresses upon you but and so often in my life, I think God's impressed things upon me by a scripture that comes to life. And if you've read through parts of the New Testament in the Gospel of Matthew, there's this kind of place at the, almost when Jesus is going to judge, you know, he comes back and he's going to judge the, um, the, the people of the earth. And he kind of uses the illustration of sheep and goats, how he separates the sheep on one side and the goats on the other. And in that particular illustration, he said um, to one group who were the goats, he really chastised them. And he actually said, you guys are going to miss out. And the reason they're going to miss out, because he said, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. And when I was thirsty, you didn't give me something to drink. And when I was naked, you didn't clothe me. And when, I, when you were in prison, you didn't visit me. And then he speaks to the sheep. Of course, their response is, well, when did we see you? We didn't see you hungry. We didn't see you thirsty. We didn't see you naked or in prison. You know, come on, how, come on, come fair go. Give us a, we didn't see you. We'd seen you. We would have done it. There's no problem. We, we were really good. We would, have, we would have helped you, but we just didn't see you. And he turns to the sheep and he said, hey, you guys, thank you so much for taking care of me. He said, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you, you know, you visited me. When I, and when I was in prison, you came to visit me as well. And he said, come, come, come and join us. Because you guys have done it. And they said, you know, they actually had this. It's actually interesting if you read it. They had exactly the same word. When did we see you? We, when did we see you? Isn't it interesting that the goats who kind of missed out, they said, when did we see you? We didn't see you. And these guys said, well, when did we see you? We didn't even know that we saw you. And he says, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. It's a powerful message. And I, I kind of, as I drove up the hill, it's kind of like, you know, God kind of said to me, he said, you know, Norm, you can't use that excuse. You haven't seen me anymore. And, and the prison was right there. There's no excuse. I can't say I haven't. And, and really it became a journey for me to kind of see, well, how do I see God? How do I see? Because this is talking about seeing Jesus. And it really became an attempt to try and break into the prison. I know it's usually the other way around. Um, <laughs> but, 
But really, and, and we've had a number of people break out and on one occasion we had the, the army and the you can't see me guys, you know, they all dress up with things over them and they hiding in the, in the, in the grass trying to catch people that had broken out. But, but you know, it's, when have you seen me? I, I think there's something profound in that passage that we, we miss, we miss things. I love the song you sang about making room and I, 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 you got to, I must, you know, I'm going to listen to it again. But I, I just think the thing that we got, we get so much in our religion in our lives. We live a religious life. We have all these things that we think God does. And we think we should live a certain way. And, and yet in that particular, you know, as I reflect on that passage that God spoke to me, you know, Jesus is around us all the time. And the kind of the journey that the kind of transpired from that, and I, I'll try and come back. Who knows where I'll go? I don't really mind. But anyhow, but the kind of the journey, God just opened up the prison over the years. And, you know, my initial attempts to get in there, and I went to work with a chaplain, and basically... The chaplain just had, basically said no. And, and just miraculously, and I can tell you separately the stories of the way things had opened up, and we were able to do some stuff that really was, it was the first in, almost the first in the world. We, some of the stuff we did, we ended up doing, because all, all that Jesus told me to do was visit. That's what the word said. When, you, when, when did you see me in prison and you visited me? You know, I didn't have to do much else, just visit. Nothing profound, just visit. And so all, as I reflect on the sort of things we've done, it, they're all about visiting. We, we started, one of the first programs we started doing was we started doing kids' days. Where we took kids into the prison to visit their parents. And it wasn't the part that the children by themselves. And we would have probably, each, you know, each time we took them in, there were four prisons. There's medium, maximum, minimum, um, and the women's. And we used to take kids in. And we would probably have about, about 150 inmates and about 120 kids we take in, and we got asked, we got invited. When the chaplain said no, some of the, the non-chaplaincy people, the staff said, hey guys, you know, they rang us up and said, can you help us? We want to do a program for kids in the prison. Do you think you might be able to do that? And it just opened up this door and we started, it was one of the phenomenal stuff. And as we engaged with the children and their parents, I just saw the plight of families. And we, we ended up building a house on our property, a bit like the Ronald McDonald house, just this kind of idea. And we, we built a house and it got funded by the government, which was really nice, or a grant funding to build it. Where families that lived up north, which would often be two, three, four hours away, who couldn't visit, could actually come and visit and stay in a house, you know, just visit. And then we started saying, and, and the guy that was kind of in charge, uh, he came up for the opening of the, the, um, the house and I said to him, you know, I, I'd like to run video visits in the prison, where you, where you do video, and that's a common thing today after COVID, but we'd like to run video visits. And he said, well, no, you can't do that. And I'd heard later that he'd said, I will never, ever have Skype in my prison. And I was saying to him, he said, well, he said what about all the security problems? And I said, you haven't got any. He said, well, how do you say? So I explained how we would do it. And we actually used churches around the, around the country, in fact, churches where families could go to a church on a given day, we didn't have a lot of volunteers, but we'd just do it one day a week. And we started doing these visits, and it opened up the door. And many years later, when COVID came, we were already doing video visits, and, and we got involved in do, helping the prison do video visits. We started doing things where someone would, you know, a, a person inside's parent would die, or a loved one or a child would die, and they couldn't get to the funeral because they were in prison. And we, we got volunteers from churches to go to the graveside or to the, the funeral home when the funeral service was, and they'd stand there with these video tablets with kind of Skype on one end and watching the funeral, and then we would be inside sitting next to an inmate with a video tablet. 
and just sitting there with them and they'd watch. And, you know, uh, and we, we did hundreds of these, hundreds. And, um, and, and as I sat and kind of the, the person, I sit behind them sometimes. And, you know, I, on a number of occasions, I kind of got this impression, you know, it was kind of like God saying, thank you for visiting me. Thank you for visiting me. And, and, and just immense difference in people's lives. Can you imagine being in prison and a loved one dies? You miss the opportunity of grieving with families. You miss the opportunity of going to the funerals and being with others. And you may be in for another three or four years. And when you come out, you haven't moved on, but everyone else has. And so we work in that space. And it's just, just amazing. And, so, and as we went through COVID, we wrote reports on the visits. And we were probably the first jurisdiction in Australia, certainly, and often around the world, to actually do doing full-scale video visits in the prison that the prison paid for and the prison ran. And we just got there and we actually had a... And so we just communicated with the families and set them all up on video visits. Anyway, God just opened up so many doors. And it really was a simple word, visit. Just visit. And, and I think the word of God itself is so powerful in our lives. It, it can take us on and it can generate something. If we just, if, if we just trust God. And today we've just got a, such an immense open door into the prison. I remember getting quite a few prophetic words and there's a great one that God has set before you an open door that no man can close. And it really is amazing, just the, the, the inroads and the church property next door. Um, we, we are right next door. And currently now the, the prison has, hasn't got enough spaces for meetings. They come up to the church regularly and they have meetings, they do their training and they pay me to come. And they fund our, they just fund us so the church gets an income for them. We don't hire the place out, but we just allow the church, the, the prison to use it. And they, it's just an, a, a fantastic thing. We've done lots of things. I mean, that's, um, yeah, no, I don't so, know if that answers that question, but anyhow, it doesn't matter. Very exciting. But I imagine going into a prison where you've got maximum, like you've got all sorts of people in there, you'd meet some pretty um, tough characters. Let's put it that way. And some people you would, you would look at what their life has become and how broken or uh, what they've been through or what they've done and you would, it would touch your heart. How has the Lord used that to mould and shape you or speak to you over, over the years? Yeah, it's... Um, I mean, immensely. I, 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 there has been such a... I actually think... I know I was born again. I know I was spirit-filled. But I think going to the prison, I've actually got converted. I, it, it's, it's really hard to imagine, explain in one sense, but maybe I can do it by a story. And when we actually coming back to the video visits, we were only just starting, and I, I went in to do a visit with a, a gentleman, and, and this guy was um, actually burnt. Every part of his body was burnt. He had bandages on his hand, hands, and he had bandages on his face. And, um, and he's just a small guy. And I was connecting him through a church in Burnie to visit with his family. Um, my procedure, the way that I did things when I went in, I don't go and kind of say, what are you in for? Um, but I met him and just did the visit and I stuck with him. He seemed like a nice young man. And we did the visit and we connected. And I had to go back two weeks later to do the next one. So this is the very early days of the video visits. And in between the two visits... I actually, and I don't know how it happened, but I came across the front page of a newspaper. It was a newspaper from the north of the state, and in it, it had a picture of two young boys that were all burnt, and burnt in much the same way as the man that I was visiting was burnt. And 
when I looked at it and I read the story, it, it recounted of how apparently or allegedly that these two young boys had been in a car with their father who had had an argument with his, the, the children's mother and he'd um, driven off and he'd ignited a gas bottle in the car in an attempt to take his life and the life of the children. And I, um, you know, and obviously that greatly affected me. I, I can just imagine what you would think. And I was about to go and visit this man. And everything inside of me said, I don't want to go. I, I, you know, there's some things that are just not acceptable. You know, you can, you can say I can forgive people of things, but certainly towards that, my, my heart was really greatly, I didn't want to go. And I remember walking in that day as I was going down the steps and I was saying, God, I don't want to do this. I wish I had not known what he had done. I mean, at least before when I met him, I could just talk to him. I could be normal and stuff like that. And as I was walking through, I, I wish I hadn't known that. And then God spoke into my heart. And again, it wasn't an audible voice, but it's one of those things. He said, Norm, I know everything you've done. And I love you. Grace is not grace if you don't know the offense. You know, and to me, that was just a significant thing that the grace of God, so often we want to be nice to people. We kind of have this clinical or um, sort of niceness that we do. We, we have parameters around how we are nice to people. We'll do something, but not others. And we can kind of be nice at a distance. We wear the rubber gloves. You know, Jesus didn't wear rubber gloves when he touched the lepers. He didn't. And one of the interesting things about Jesus when he touched the lepers, one of his first miracles, was he touched a leprous man. But he didn't become leprous. In fact, quite the reverse happened, didn't it? The guy became whole. And I, I just think in this clinical religion, you know, that, that song we sang again, you know, God make room, want to make room in my life. This religion that we have, we want to let go of the religion that we have. Break down the walls, I think were some of the songs in the chorus. You know, it doesn't mean this is easy. No, no, this is really hard. As I walked in, but it gave me a couple of things, a greater appreciation of certainly the staff that work in the prison environment because they know every offence the person's done and yet they don't have the grace to deal with them. They don't have the capacity and, and, and I think that the ability to have grace in our lives is not because we don't know something, it's because actually know yet we have grace. We embrace people. You know, it's so hard. And so I really think it was at that point in my life, something changed. Because actually up until then, I thought I was a pretty good Christian. I was, you know, I was pretty good. You know, I tried a number of my sins. But, but in, it, it, almost in an instant, you know, Paul writes in Scripture that he says, I, I am the least of people. I, 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 I am amongst all. I'm the greatest of sinners, Paul says. He wasn't just being polite. He actually believed that. I am the greatest of sinners. And I think often in a religious environment, we look at ourselves and we say, well, I'm really not that bad. And so we have this graduated scale of what's good and what's bad, of this person's okay and that person's not okay. But you know, in the eyes of God, every one of us is not okay. You know, Jesus, you know what the name Jesus means? Jesus came to save sin, us from our sins. Whether it's a little or a big one or many or, or, or a few, or any, it doesn't matter. He came to save us from the name Jesus. Every time we speak the name Jesus, you read it. I was just reading it yes, the other day. Jesus means he came to save us from our sins. Powerful words. I, I just happened to have, and you know one of the good things about going to prison? 
There's not many people I have to tell them they're sinners. Do you know that's really good? You know, but if I stand up here and say you're all sinners, you say, well, no, I'm not that bad, really. But people in prison, you don't need to tell them. In fact, they, they live in an environment that reminds them they're sinners. Every morning they wake up and they're in a, in a room they can't get out of. Their, their, their life is controlled. Someone opens the door for them at a certain time and someone in uniform is there and they don't have any rights and they are, they are sinners. They're reminded constantly they are. So it's actually a great place to start when you talk with people and all of them want help. And most of them are at the point where they say, well, I just can't. And they come out and they go back in again and they come out and they go back. Six out of ten people that are in prison go back into prison. That's horrid, isn't it? It's not just getting out the gate. And so in this space, this has been amazing. And I suppose for me, you know, I've changed immensely. I really have. And I, I realise more often than not that I am the greatest of sinners. Seriously, and it's not just been... I, because I think in terms of I do those... I may not, they may not actually cross over the line where I go to jail, but in terms of God's standard, I can never, ever, ever make it. I can't. Praise God. But then I can actually give up trying and realize that Jesus came to save me from my sins. He did it. And if he loves me, he loves all the people that I talk with. And even that young man, it's just amazing. You know, that young man actually ended up coming up and he had a season when he was able to come up and even work on our properties and I'd make him coffee and tea. He'd be on our church property doing stuff. And I, I just thought, how amazing. And he's still in prison, but he gets out soon. But, you know, there's a journey we can go on. Do I like what he did? No. But, you know, Jesus loves him. Jesus loves him. And the good thing is he loves you and me too. It's great, Norm. I think we could hear lots of stories from the prison and afterwards we'll have a chance to ask some more questions. But I'd love to go back to or come circle around to, like, in this process of knowing Jesus well. Like how, do you, how do you do that? Like obviously, we can look at what you do in terms of in the prison and making him known, um, but how do you personally know Jesus well? Like what, what does that look like for you? Um, and what, how can you encourage us in that? Because obviously, it's out of that space that you do all this other stuff, um, and that comes first. And um, I know for me, many years ago, when I was at the Christian Family Centre down at Seton as a, a young youth pastor just trying to work through stuff, I got very busy doing things. Um, and you introduced uh, me to soap or life journaling. Yeah. And that was life transforming for me um, in just terms of devotional life and stuff like that. But you've been on, on a journey and God's, you know, you're knowing Jesus and your intimacy with him. How do you build that? How do you, you know, keep that in a space where it allows you then to be able to do the things that you do do in the prison? I think the first thing, if I, if I can come back to just the thing about grace, I need God's grace in my life. I mean, I need it. It's not just a nice thing. I need the grace of God in my life. And grace is more than just... Grace actually is God's power. I heard grace defined once as the operational power of God. It's God at work in my life. And, and I need God. God is just not an addition to my life. I need him. And I think for me personally, look, I've been a missionary for 10, as Jeremy mentioned, 10 years on the field. And, I, and, I, and look, I, 
I was busy doing stuff. When I came back to Seton, I was busy. Look, I'm still busy doing stuff. Um, but I, I found a place where I, I just, I mean, this relationship with God. And, and, and I think in coming into the Word, into, into reading the Bible, has certainly been significant in my life. And I, I suppose if I was to say anything, and I'm conscious of time, but in terms of just the, this intimacy, I, I really love the Bible. I mean, I really do. I, I, I've come to a place, I, I, I just want to ask you a question. Of how many of you are happy with your devotional life? Don't put your hands up. If I just ask you that question, you says, oh, I'm not really. I mean, I, I just want to do, you know, I, I should read the Bible. I should read the Bible more. But don't, don't, don't even nod your head if you're thinking that. But perhaps there's a few people, one or two, that might be sitting there just saying, yeah, I really should do that. I, I, I'm actually really comfortable with my devotional life. Is it perfect? No, not at all. But if, if, if you want a relationship, you want to make room for God in your life, you've got to spend time with him. You've got to, I mean, Kathy and I have been married for how many years? I've got to ask her because I can't remember exactly. <laughs> 42. It only, it, it's, it, no, it's right. Yeah, I'll, I'll be quiet. Okay. <laughs> 42 years. But, you know, we have grown so close together. I, I remember when I first met Kathy, and um, we went on our honeymoon. And I know one of the, the fears that Kathy had, it was actually kind of built into her life, actually, by the church we used to attend. And it was kind of like she was going to hold me back from my ministry. That's true, isn't it? Kind of in the church that we're there. Because I was pretty gung-ho. I wanted to change the world, and I wanted to do all these things. And, you know, Norm was, you know, had a rather exciting conversion. Um, and kind of the, she was kind of, condemned in many ways by the church you're going to hold Norm back you need to you know continue to support him and let him go and I remember going on our honeymoon and on our honeymoon I, I, I kind of we were we went to New Zealand and we actually did a church crawl during our honeymoon but that doesn't really matter um, but we were staying in this place and I got up early one morning and I, and I went for a drive and I, I was kind of coming to terms with what it was like to be married and I almost kind of had an impression in one sense that maybe Kathy would hold me back from my ministry so I'd have to, in, in our relationship, there were things that she would kind of do that means I wouldn't be free to do the things that I should, could should do and should be doing for the church. And I got in the car and I, I, I went for a bit of a drive. And there's nothing wrong. We weren't arguing. It was just early in the morning. Um, and as we were driving, I really felt the Lord lay in my heart. He said, you know, that you love Kathy now. But as you go through life, you're going to learn to love her more and more and more. And at the end of 42 years, can I say we've got the perfect marriage? No, but I tell you what, I wouldn't want to be with anybody else. You know, we, we, love is something that's grown in our relationship because we journey together. We have our difficult time, but we, we relate to one another. Um, we've, we've learned never to argue in, in any great way. It doesn't mean we don't have disagreements. But we, 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 we don't let the sun go down on our differences. We'll talk them through. We'll have relationship. But, but really, it's a constant relationship. It's a vital relationship. It's a vibrant relationship. But our relationship with God is the same. It's vibrant. You grow in love. You grow. And you want to, you, you know, we're going to play a song later when we come to communion. And I, I, I'm going to maybe come back to some of the how-tos, just to some things for me that have worked. But maybe it's more the what that's important to me. I think if I have a favorite passage of Scripture, have you ever thought about what you would... Let me just ask you another question. What, what do you want people to say about you at your funeral? It's a really interesting thought what would you like them to say about you I've thought about that I've thought about it 
quite a lot. Um, there's a book I'm reading at the moment and it's called Living Life Backwards and it's about the book of Ecclesiastes. And it actually says the kind of theme of Ecclesiastes is you kind of go to death. You, you look at the, what happens at the end of life because that's what Ecclesiastes is. We're all going to die basically. And everything seems vanity. But we, we, if you go to the house of mourning, it says in Proverbs, it's better than to go to the house of feasting because you reflect on life. If you're going to die, what, what do you want people to say about you? I, I, I suppose, I'll say this to Kathy, so when I do eventually go, you can still be around, Kath, but I have a scripture that I'd love to have read, have read out. She says we're going to go together, so anyhow. It's, um, I've got to take my glasses off to read. It's, it's what Paul writes in the book of Philippians. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This is Paul writing. Do you know I count the loss of all things in order that I might gain Christ? Some years ago, we moved from um, Adelaide to um, Hobart and we had to pack our container of things we were taking. And I went through our attic and in the attic were all these things that were once precious that I ended up throwing out or selling in a garage sale. If you've moved house, you know what I mean. All the things you thought were important are no longer important. And I think the thing about death and if you as I often do, you, you sit with some people that maybe have got to the age, as I did recently with a man of 99 years of age. Had great innings. Died. Just a, a lovely man. Just, just in that final meeting we had with him and his family in the, in the um, hospital, he just burst into song and said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know, and, and he, it was one of his final songs he sang. And he loved Jesus. And all the other stuff didn't mean a thing. I may gain Christ and be found him, in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lays behind, and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you know, and I, and I think for me, I, I want to know Jesus. I want to know him more. And, and so my time is, you know, I, I, I wake in the mornings, I get up early. Now, I'm not suggesting you all need to do this. I'm now 69. I get up because I have to get up. <laughs> but I tell you what, I, when I'm up, I, I use the time and, I, and, I, and I, I just love being in the Word. 
Now, I'm not, I'm, I know you can, I, and this is hard. I know if you've got kids, I know at the times I've had when I've had young kids, it's almost impossible to have a devotional time. And so it's, it's not just doing this, but it's finding where you want to hear from God. And it's not just reading the word. It's, I want to hear. And I don't read necessarily, uh, you know, great slabs of scripture. It may just be, my aim is I have a regular daily devotional time. And I know where I'm going to read tomorrow. I've got a schedule that I read. I I know the address I'm going to go to. And when I get to the address at that house, I knock on the door. And I open the door and Jesus says, come and sit. Come and sit in. So today I was in uh, Luke chapter 5. Because that's just the schedule I'm going through. And I'll be in Luke chapter 6 tomorrow. But I was so blessed in Luke. I'd love to have preached a day on Luke 5. Just this morning, what I got out of Scripture. It was just exciting to me. But it's something, but it wasn't just exciting. It was also God speaking to me. He's changing my life. It's kind of like, how do I hear from God? Because in the midst of doing something, and it's not always nice what God says to me. Is it, Mick? (laughs) God sounds like my wife sometimes. Which is really loving and caring, but you know, <laughs> but sometimes it's not. But you know, God often corrects me. I find myself coming out of devotions with a real commitment. Well, thank you, Jesus. I, I, I need to do something different. I need to change. I can't do what I was going to do. It's, look, and, and I'd encourage you, you know, I could spend a whole session on this. And the last thing I want to say is you're going to, I, I, no guilt. I, I wouldn't want anyone to say, well, now I'm going to get up tomorrow morning and start reading the Bible because Norm said I've got it. I'm not saying that. Because the problem is we start to feel guilty that we don't. and we could. Look, I, I probably, just about everyone in this room probably made a New Year's resolution that you're going to read the Bible more. Probably, probably, I could be wrong. Or at least I'm going to read something. And then you got to about the second or third week and you said, oh, well, you know, two days, three days, four days. And now maybe you're at the space, well, I haven't even read it this week or they didn't read it last week. The last thing I want is guilt. But I can't have a relationship with Kathy if I don't sit with her. I can't have a relationship, but particularly when I don't go to the times that are stressful and anxious. I need, I, I need her relationship with me. I need to celebrate the good things together in the life of our kids and our grandkids and we celebrate. I need that one-on-one relationship. How do you do it? Start small. Whatever you use. I, I, I think, though, don't, don't, and you can read many other books, and I read lots of other books. But this book, there's one promise about this book. The Word is alive. It is alive. It is. And so I'm not sure whether you have a schedule or things that you do in terms of reading. But if you do, I, I would encourage you to engage in that and start. And if you miss a, if you miss a reading for a day that you've set to do, that's okay. That's fine. Don't, don't get guilty about it. You don't have to catch up. I can assure you, if you're reading a story in Matthew and you've read one, two, and you, you start reading again at seven, you say, well, I've missed out four, five, and six. doesn't matter. I tell you what, it doesn't make any difference because as soon as you get to seven, it's alive. It's what you need today. It's not the story. I'm not saying don't read through the Bible in a year. That's a great idea. But if you just read today, that word's alive. That word will change your life. That word changed my life today. It really did. The things today that I read have made a difference in my life. If you want to make room for God, you, you, you need to give him space. You need to get rid of some stuff and maybe prioritize that a little different. But again, I'm not try- the last thing I want to do is say, well, I'm going to go away here and I'm going to really reread the Bible. I'm going to make a new, fresh commitment. You kind of did that, but don't beat yourself up if you don't do it. Because it's actually in the not doing it, you actually discover that you really need it.